This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. How you doing this morning? Good to see you. And I want to go ahead and welcome the people who are being planted in this morning. 26 people coming out. Come on, welcome them as they come down. Start making your way this way. So exciting. Every month we do this, and it's always amazing to me what God does. Oh, look at this new little member. Little member of the body coming on in. So exciting. For those of you who are new to New Song Church, uh, what Planted is, is it's an opportunity for us to come together with those who are making a decision to make New Song Church their their church and that they are going to operate from the home court advantage that comes with being uh, connected to a body of Christ and connected with us. So church family, this is our family growing today. Isn't that awesome? Hey, hon. How are you? Hey, I'm so good. You got anything to add to this? Yeah, it's been such a good morning. We just spent the first part of the service back in the adult classroom with these guys, sharing why they joined the church, what Jesus is doing in their life right now, praying for one another. And I am just so excited to welcome these guys to the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we must grasp once again the idea of church membership as being the membership of the body of Christ and as the biggest honor which can come a man's way in this world, that we would get to be a member of Christ's body here in the earth, helping bring his kingdom to our community. And so we're so proud of these guys, so honored. If you are interested in being a member of the church, um, we've got three videos online. They're each about 30 minutes long. You can um, watch those and pray and decide if this is where you want to be a member. Yes, absolutely. And you need a home court advantage. You need a church, whether it's here or somewhere else. We believe those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. And we want you to flourish the way God designed you to be. And so you need a church family. So today we're going to, I'm going to lead you guys in some uh, declarations. We're going to make some new song. These are some of the covenant promises we're committing to. So for those of you who are being committed, I'm going to finish each one of these with a response. You'll either say, I have, I will, or I do. And uh, church, since you're in agreement with what they're doing, hopefully you are. Hopefully if you're a member, you can be reminded of these promises that you're committing to, these covenant commitments you're making. We're going to say this together, all right? So have you made an authentic profession of faith in Jesus Christ? If so, say, I have. have. Will you commit to engage in personal worship, obey the teachings of Scripture, and regularly fellowship with followers of Jesus? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to protecting the peace and purity of the church by acting in love, promoting unity, refusing to gossip, and pursuing biblical reconciliation? If so, say, I will. Will you support the worship and practices of the church by attempting to faithfully pray for and attend the weekend services, partake in communion, and move towards the practice of generosity through regular giving? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to serving in and reinforcing the mission of the church by using your spiritual gifts to serve the church and the community? If so, say, I will. Have you read and understand New Song's statement of beliefs and agree to joyfully support the leadership, vision, mission, and values of New Song Church? If so, say, I have. Do you understand that the above commitments can't be maintained without relying on the Holy Spirit to work in your life and without certain commitments on your part? If so, say, I do. Church, would you help me welcome the newest members of our church? 
And then extend your extend your hand towards them. Sarah, would you lead us in prayer? Yes, Lord, I pray that your spirit would inhabit this church home, making of it a sanctuary where hearts and lives are knit together, where bonds of love are strengthened, where mercy is learned and practiced. May this, our church home, may it be a harbor of anchorage and refuge and a haven from which we journey forth to do your work in your world. May this be a garden of nourishment in which our roots go deep that we might bear fruit for the nourishing of others. May this church home be a place of knowing and of being known, a place of shared tears and laughter, a place where forgiveness is easily asked and granted and wounds are quickly healed, a place of meaningful conversation, of words not left unsaid, a place of joining, of becoming, of creating and reflecting, a place where their diverse gifts are named and appreciated, where we learn to serve one another well and to serve our neighbors as well, a place where our stories are forever twined by true affections. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, give them another hand as they begin to exit. You guys, I don't know who you're following, but yeah, go that way. Follow Courtney. She'll lead you out of here because we got to get you out of here. We ain't got room for you in here because these guys are committing to come to a different service than this one. Amen? Not a lot of amens coming out of these people. There you go. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, if you got your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. We are going to jump into the Word this morning. I hope you got your Being Transformed journals, the lavender edition. Maybe you got your lavender shirt this morning from our, our merch out there. We got new merch. Make sure you get some merch. Would you help me welcome all those joining us online today too as you're turning in your Bible? We're continuing our series, What Lies Beneath, where we've been talking about the stuff underneath the stuff, right? The things underneath the things. And today I want to talk to you about the journey through the wall. If you're taking notes this morning, that's the title of this message, Through the Wall. How many of you in life have ever had a moment where like you're kind of going along, things are going pretty good, you're feeling pretty good, and then something happens? And bam, like you just hit a wall, like something happens in a relationship, something happens in your health, something happens like some kind of circumstance just rocks you at your core and it seems to just kind of stop you in your tracks and shut you down and you find yourself out of that situation asking some questions like what is happening right now? Why is this happening to me? What, what am I doing wrong? Where is God in the middle of this? Can anybody relate to this this morning? A few of you relate to this? You're going along, things feel pretty good, and then something hits you. You hit a wall. Now, you know, in, in life, typically, when we come against some kind of obstacle, typically what we try to do is we try to kind of navigate ourselves around it, don't we? Like if you're going home or you're, you're trying to find your way to your house and you're driving down the road and, and there's an obstacle in the road or maybe like there's a traffic jam or something like that. You know, you ever topped a hill before and there's a traffic jam, but there's an off-ramp and so you fire over to the off-ramp as quickly as you can because you're trying to avoid the obstacle or maybe there's something in the road, a tree branch or something and you, you know, you pull over and you get out of your car and you move that thing. Like we, when we can, we want to move the obstacle or we want to kind of take a detour to get us around the obstacle. But what about in life when we hit a wall and there's no way around it? And there's no way to just like, we'd love to just quickly remove it, but that's not really an option. What do we do then? 
Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today, because the reality is we're all going to face walls in our walk with God. In our journey with the Lord, there's going to be moments where stuff pops up, stuff hits us. And and there's not always an easy answer. There's not always just a quick like thing we can do to remove it quickly or, or take a detour around it. Sometimes there's a journey through the wall that God invites us to where we can partner with Jesus and we can begin to journey through the wall. And on the other side of the wall is greater revelation. Like there's some great work that God wants to do in journeying us through this wall that can help us to have a greater understanding of the love of God, the character of God, the nature of God. And that will enable us to be a better image bearer and reflector of of who Jesus is in this world. And so today we're going to get real. We're going to move into some deeper stages of what it means to be a Christ follower. Are you down for that this morning? If you're in, say, I'm in. in. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together in a place like this. We can worship you and that you're here with us today. And you don't just want to be in the room. You want to be moving in the room. You want to make yourself known in the room. And so we say, Holy Spirit, that we want, to be, we, want, we want that. Like, we want you to talk to us today. We want to hear from you. I, I don't want this to be about me. I don't want this to be about a talk. I want this to be about an encounter. Jesus, would you encounter the people you love? And would you speak to them? And would you, would you show them things and give them revel, revelation and, and wisdom? And, and, I, and Lord, I know there's some of people in here that are up against the wall right now. They're facing stuff. And I pray, Lord, that you would... You would help them to see how they can join hands with you and walk through whatever it is that they're facing today, Lord God. We say to you, Lord, we want you. In fact, would you just say that, Jesus, I want you. Say this, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Thank you, Lord. We ask you to do what only you can do today, Lord. Only you can break bondages. Only you can set captives free. Only you, Lord God. So we invite you to do that today. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The journey through the wall. Now, in order to understand the journey through the wall, you need to understand something about this thing we call the walk with God, and that is that it is a journey, right? It's called a walk with God. We walk by faith, don't we? The Bible says that we were to run the race to win. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 1.18. It says, your life is a journey you must travel. So we're all on this journey. And if you've ever been on a journey before, and like we talk about a journey, like I think the best way to relate to that for us is like a road trip, like a long road trip. You guys ever been on like a long road trip? I'm not talking like you're going to Dallas three hours away. I'm talking like a 20-hour, 15-hour road trip. If you've ever been on like a legit road trip, how many of you know there's twists and there's turns and there's surprises and there's, there's times when you're moving along quickly. There's times when you're slowing down. There's times when you're completely stopped. There's times when you have to pull over. There's like to get refreshment, to get, to get some fuel for the vehicle. Like there's, there's kids inside the car and they, they can drive you crazy. Like there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of surprises, twists and turns. There could be stuff on the road. Like there's moments on a road trip where you're in cruise control, right? But there's also moments where you have to be very engaged. And I've noticed something. Typically, when I'm, in a road, when I'm on a road trip and I'm stopped, I'm not in cruise control mode. And I think a lot of times what we do is we navigate through life on cruise control until something comes up. And then it's like, oh, I got to engage in the moment. And so there's this engagement that God invites us to in this journey with him and a lot, of, a lot of times, some of the strongest engagement we have with the Lord can come out of these moments where we hit a wall, when things kind of stop. 
and we're forced to kind of deal with stuff. Now, the journey we're on is a journey to look like Jesus, right? We're on a journey to be image bearers of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we're, we're being transformed into Christ's likeness. Romans 8.29 says that God predestined all believers to be conformed into the likeness of his son. So we're on a journey to become like Jesus. We call it practicing the way here at New Song Church, where we're, we're wanting to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ in this world so that we can reflect in a, in a God-honoring way who Jesus is and who he wants to be in this world. So on this journey, just like on any journeys, there are some mile markers, right? You guys ever seen a mile marker before on the side of a highway? You're driving along, and mile markers are there to help you pinpoint where you are, Right? Like sometimes you're, you're traveling, you know, and you're on one of those long stretches of road where like the road just looks the same. It's just nothing but trees. There's no cities. You're just on a stretch where you're going from one destination to the next. But in that, there's these mile markers and they help you know where you are on the journey. So uh, we're in this series and we've been kind of taking some of this content from this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And in this book, he talks about this idea of the wall, and he talks about this thing called the six stages of faith. Now, there's a lot of different ways that people kind of map out what it looks like to walk with the Lord, but for the sake of, of what we're talking about today, I want to show you this six stages of faith thing because it helps us reflect on what the wall is and what it does in our walk with the Lord. Okay, so guys, throw that up there. This is the first stage in the stages of faith that we all experience. It's called this life-changing awareness of God. This is the salvation moment. This is when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. This is when you recognize that you need a savior, that you are dead in your sins and that Jesus came and he died on the cross and he made a way and you surrender your life over to him. It's that moment of salvation. You are born again. You are made new into uh, Christ's image. In the, spirit, in the spiritual side, you become a born again, brand new Christian. You move from death to life. And it's an incredible stage. In fact, this is pretty cool. A couple weekends ago on, on, on Easter, uh, we had 38 people that hit this mile marker right there. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, 38 people gave their life to Christ. They moved from death into life. Now, this is an incredible stage, right? But this is not where it ends. God doesn't expect us to just, you know, get saved, to lift our hand, to make a commitment, and that be the end of it. There's, there's more from there. So let's talk about the next stage. This is called the stage of discipleship, or this is the learning stage. This is where we're learning about the nature of God. We're learning about the character of God. We're getting into the word and we're studying and learning what God wants and what he doesn't want and how to, how to live in accordance and, and understand in a greater way who God's called us to be and what his kingdom looks like. Uh, it's in this stage a lot of times that we partner with some other Christians, some other disciples, and, and we commit to being in a, in a church family like this, like New Song Church, like what these people did today. And we're, and we're growing and we're, we're learning about who God is and what he's called us to do. The third stage is called the stage of the active life. This is the serving stage. This is where we start to kind of do some stuff for the Lord. We get committed in the church and we're, we're, we're giving and we're, we're, we're getting on a, a serve team and we're plugging in and helping other people to come to know this Jesus that we know. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people, especially like in the American church today, this is kind of where it ends for most people. Like they work on these three stages and that's kind of where it comes to a close. But, but we want more because there is more, right? And so we're, we want to call you into something greater. But, but here's the reason why a lot of people don't ever move beyond three, these three stages is because something happens. Go ahead and throw that next part up. 
and it's called the wall. Something happens. A moment happens that kind of stops us in our tracks. Something happens and it shakes us to our, our core. And what a lot of people do is they stop at the wall and they just kind of give up. Now, the wall can look like a lot of different things. Guys, throw that next slide up there. The wall can look like this. It can look like a divorce where, you know, you've committed your life to somebody and then that falls apart. Or maybe you experience that in your home as a child that your parents get a divorce and it, it rocks you. It's a wall that you face. Or maybe it's, it's a job loss that you experience. It's the death of a loved one someone you love, someone you care about, someone who you thought was going to be there for a long time is not there anymore. And it, it shakes you up. Or maybe it's a, a diagnosis of some kind, like it's a cancer diagnosis. It's a, it's a diagnosis of some kind of illness within your body that you know, like, man, this is going to change and shape my life in a different way moving forward. It could be a bad church experience that you have. It could be in the form of a betrayal. Someone lets you down. Someone breaks your heart. Maybe it's a shattered dream. You're believing for something. You're working towards something and it, it, it goes away. It melts away and you, you're not sure what your life is going to look like moving forward. Or maybe, maybe you have a child that just goes off the rails and you're going, what happened? Like I raised them to love God and now they're doing this. Like what is going on in my world right now? Maybe it's a battle with infertility. Or, or singlehood, you want to be married, you want to have a relationship, but you feel alone, you feel like no one, you have no one to, to partner with in life. Or maybe there's just a, a sense of spiritual dryness that you experience, or, or just a loss of, of joy that you find yourself in. It can look like a lot of different things, but what, what happens is the wall happens, and it stops us in our tracks. And we have this crisis of faith where we find ourselves going, where are you, God? Why is it this way? And out of it, we start to kind of question some things. Maybe God isn't who I thought he was. Maybe this kingdom of God stuff isn't what I thought it was. Maybe the church isn't what I thought it was. Maybe the people of God are not who I thought they would be. God, where are you in the middle of this? This crisis, this trial hits us. Now, understand this. There's a big difference between like the crisis of faith, the wall, and like just trials that we face in life, Right? Like there are trials that we face where there's like, you know, just kind of inconveniences that we have. Like, you know, you get a flat tire, like that's not the dark night of the soul, just so you know, like that's a tough moment. It's, it's annoying. Or you get the flu or you twist an ankle or, you know, something like that. Like those are, those are trials, but there's a difference with, between a trial and a wall and that the wall causes us on a soul level to be rocked. And, and I, Sarah and I were talking about this week. I think this is one of the ways you can understand if what you're at is a wall or not is this. You know, in your knower, you know this, that I will never be the same because of this circumstance, because of this situation, because of what I'm facing. One way or the other, my, wife, my life is going to look different now because of what I am facing here. Walls are, are stuff like David, who is, is running from his father-in-law Saul, the king, who for 13 years is chasing after him, wanting to kill him. He's living in caves, hiding. Walls are Job, experiencing a loss in one day where he loses his family, he loses his health, he loses his, 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 all the blessing and the riches that he has in one day. Walls are the disciples, the 11 disciples, looking at Jesus, hanging on the cross, going, what is happening? I thought he was the Messiah. In that moment, they can't see beyond 
that moment. They can't see what's going to happen in three days. All they can see in that moment is the wall and the wall rocks them. There's a 16th century book that was written by this guy named St. John of the Cross. And it's called, I mentioned this a little moment ago, it's called The Dark Night of the Soul. And in this book, he talks about how these dark night moments can happen in our life. The dark night of the soul, or as we're kind of referring to them today, they're, they're these wall moments that happen in our life. And, and while God doesn't cause them to happen, God can use them to help shape us and to rewire us and to transform us, to work things into us, to work things out of us that need to be worked in and out so that we can become the image bearers of Jesus that we're called to be. So it can be something good, but in the middle of it, man, it can feel bad and it can feel weird and it can feel like what, what is going on? The emotions can be all over the place. You can feel dry. You can feel like almost like heaven is closed to you. You can feel like, where is God? And, and it, it can feel confusing, but, but if you'll partner with God in the middle of it, if you'll learn to join hands with the Lord and allow him to help you navigate through the wall, on the other side of the wall is a you that looks more like Jesus and a you that can reflect in a greater way the image of Jesus in this world and greater understanding and revelation of who God is, which leads us to Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham hits a wall. Now, if you guys don't know Abraham, like for real, you really should, okay? Abraham's a big deal in scripture. In fact, um, he's the third most talked about character in all of scripture. Uh, behind just Jesus and David is Abraham. He has 14 chapters in the book of Genesis dedicated to his life and his story. He, in Ro the book of Romans, is called the father of our faith. Abraham was a big character in scripture and a great study for us in our walk of faith. But here's the, the truth about Abraham, and really it's the truth about all significant Bible characters, is they face some stuff. Like, I want you to think for just a moment, what Bible character is there that we look up to that didn't face some stuff? Like most of the time when we, when we study a Bible character, we're studying how they faced obstacles, how they faced the walls, and how they navigated those with the Lord. And so Abraham is no different. He faced some walls. And notice, I, I didn't say he faced a wall. Like, so you know, this is not going to be a one-time event for you. It's not like you're going to get through the wall and be like, yes, that's over forever. Like, that's not a thing. There's going to be, there's going to be multiple walls that you walk through in your journey with the Lord. And Abraham had multiple walls. His, his first wall came in the form of, of, of not knowing what God was leading him into. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to him and says, I'm going to give you a land. And he gives him some instruction, but God's very vague with the instructions. Have you ever felt like that before with the Lord? Like he's leading you and he's calling you out to something, but he's not exactly filling in all the details right away. But, but yet he's inviting Abraham to obedience in spite of not knowing everything in the natural and, and Abraham, the father of our faith, man, it's amazing because he walks it out. And the Bible says he, he goes out to a land that God says he will show him. And he says he goes out not knowing where he's going. Just so you know, that's what it's going to look like to walk with the Lord sometimes. There's going to be seasons where God's calling you out and you don't know where you're going, but you in faith believe and you in faith walk. The second wall we see in Abraham's life is this wall he faces in the form of infertility. God comes to him one day and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to give you a nation and a land. Only one problem. He doesn't even have the one, right? 
Like it's hard to be a father of a nation when you don't have the one. And he, they don't have the one. They, they've struggled with infertility their entire life, him and his wife Sarai at the time. And at this point, when God's inviting them to this promise and telling them, hey, I'm going to give you a child at this point, Abraham is 74 years old and Sarah is 65. Like you've met those people before and they're having babies at like 50 and you're like, that's amazing. Imagine 74 and 65. Like I'm 43 and I'm like, I don't think I could handle a baby right now. I couldn't do it. But listen, they don't get the baby at 74 and 65. They got to wait 25 more years before they receive the baby from there. This is a wall. And in the middle of that wall, uh, they make some decisions. They kind of try to do some stuff to navigate around the wall, to try to move some of the obstacles, keeping them from the promise. And it just leads to more walls. But finally, after that 25 years, when Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 90, they receive the promised child. And that leads us to our text this morning. Genesis 22, verse 1 says, Sometime later, sometime later, years later, in fact, God tested Abraham. Now, we're going to move through this text rapidly in a moment, but I do want to stop right here because I want you to notice that God tested Abraham. Listen, there will be moments in your life when God will test you. There will be tests that we all face. You say, I don't really like tests. Well, sorry, Charlie, you're going to have some tests with the Lord. Now, notice I said tests and not temptations. Like God will test you. He doesn't tempt you, but he will test you. And here, here's, here's how this works, okay? The goal in the test is this. A, go, a test is an opportunity with a goal of success. Like just so you know, if there are any teachers in the house this morning, school teachers of any kind, none, any, okay, cool, whatever. It's, okay, we got one, good, great. Okay, so if you're a teacher, you don't start the year going, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin this, this year for these sixth graders. I'm going to, I can't wait to, to make this so difficult and fail them. No. What do you want to do? You want to educate them. You want them to learn. You want to teach them in such a way that they can pass the test and move forward. That's what a good teacher does. And that's what God wants to do. But a temptation is this. It's an opportunity with the goal of failure. And at every wall, understand this, at every wall that you face in life, there's both a temptation and a test. There's an opportunity from the enemy that's designed to stop you in your tracks and keep you there. Because here's the reality. God will not just let you pass the test because he likes you. He wants you to learn the lesson. And so the key is when you face the wall is to go to the Lord and surrender and say, hey, what's the lesson I need to learn in this moment? God is good. And when he tests you, it's to pass you. It says this, he said to Abraham, this is God. He said, Abraham, he calls him by name. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son. Now look at this. Your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Like notice how God is talking to him. God is very aware of his situation. God is very aware of his emotions. God is very aware of his attachments. God is very aware that this is his son, that he loves this son. He says, and go to the region of Moriah and check this out, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Now, it's very easy to read the Bible, and sometimes we just kind of are separated from the text. I want to encourage you to take a moment here and insert yourself into the text. Like Abraham, imagine what he is feeling. Imagine what thoughts may be racing through his mind in this moment. 
This is this son he's been waiting for for so long. And, and we, 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 based on some of what this story reveals, Isaac is probably about 20 years old at this time. So he's not only waited for this son all these years, now his son is about 20 years old. Like he's, he's raised this child. He's been with him. He loves this son. And God's saying, like part of it is like, God's gonna take him away from me, but, but he wants me to do it, to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. That's a brutal way to sacrifice your son. This is, I mean, like, imagine Abraham's a real, this is a real person with real feelings and real emotions. Imagine what he's facing. Imagine some of these questions like, okay, what am I going to do when I come back home? When I come home to my town and people are like, hey, where's Isaac? I sacrificed him. So, you know, that's what the pagans do. What's he going to tell Sarah? Listen, that ain't going over well in my house. Probably not yours either. What I'm trying to say is like, think about what's going on here. And yet... Abraham walks by faith. It says in verse three, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him his two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, and that was a lot of wood, he set out for the place God had told him about. Verse six, Abraham took the wood. Now notice, I want you to notice what he's taking up the mountain. He took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went along together. So, so Abraham is walking towards this call that God has placed on his life. And what has he got with him? Well, one, he's got Isaac. Isaac represents his future. Isaac represents his retirement plan. Isaac represents his hope. Isaac represents the generations and the descendants and the nations. Isaac represents the future to him. So he's, he's got his future with him. And then on the other hand, he has this knife. What does the knife represent? It represents obedience to the word of the Lord because it's the, it's the knife that he's going to use to sacrifice his son. So he's carrying his future and he's also carrying obedience. And then it says he carries the fire. Now, when it says he's carrying the fire, he's not carrying like, uh, you know, a lighter so he can start a fire when he gets up there. He, he's literally carrying this little lantern that would be full of, of, of coals, hot coals that he would use. So once he gets to the top of the mountain, he's going to build an altar. He's going to build the fire. Then he's going to take those hot coals and he's going to use those to start a fire on the top of this mountain. And as I was reading that this week, it reminded me of, of Genesis 15. In Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and he's telling him, I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. And he says, and, and to prove this to you, we're going to cut this covenant together. And God says to him, I want you to take a three-year-old heifer. I want you to take a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram and, and pigeons. And I want you to cut them in half. He's going to cut covenant. Now in Bible times, they didn't have contracts. They would cut covenants together. And a covenant was a way of really like committing to be in agreement with someone else over something. And so he tells him, I want you to take these animals and you're going to cut them in half. And, then, and, and, and so this is what this looks like. I've got a, a painting of what this would have looked like. He cuts these animals in half and then there would have been this kind of pathway between them that would have been like this kind of little lane of blood, Right? And so we would cut them in half. And in Bible times, when you were cutting a covenant, you would do this. And then you and the person you were entering into covenant with, you would walk down the bloodline. 
And when you walk through the blood lane, you would get blood on your feet and on your sandals and on the, the, the bottom of your, of your clothes, and it, it would stain you. It would leave a mark, right? But beyond that, it was also, it was also a symbol of, of, let this be what's done to me if I break this covenant. And so God says to Abraham, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. He says, I want you to arrange this. And then it says this in Genesis 15, verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen. Look at this. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the two pieces. This is God himself walking down the blood lane. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, who's that? That's his children. That's his line. To your descendants, I give this land. So let's go back. Abraham is going up the mountain. He's carrying his future. He's carrying obedience. And he's carrying this, this little lantern, this flaming little torch, which is a reminder of the promises of God. It's a reminder of the covenant of God. So he carries with him his future, obedience, and the promises of God. He walks towards an uncertainty with a certainty in who his God is and what his God has said. And he believes, listen, he had fully intends to obey God, to sacrifice his son, but he believes he's coming back down the mountain with that son. You know how I know this? Look at verse five. It says, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey where I and the boy, while I and the boy go over there, we're gonna go up to this mountain. We will worship and then notice this, we will come back to you. So does Abraham know how it's going to go down? No. He doesn't know how God's going to do it. But he's walking up that mountain to sacrifice his son, believing that God is going to provide in some way. And he's coming back down that mountain with his son because God made a covenant promise to him and he believes it. So it says in verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, we don't know exactly how old Isaac is, but we know this. He was old enough to carry the wood, and this was a lot of wood. This would have had to have been arranged onto him, and he would have had to be strong enough to carry it up a mountain. So Bible scholars say he was between somewhere between 13 and 27. Uh, most people believe he's about 20 years old at this time, and he's not stupid. He knows what a burnt offering looks like. And so we've got the fire, we've got the wood, we got the knife, where's the lamb? Because he knows what's got to happen in order for this to be a true burnt offering. They have to have this lamb, and that lamb has to be killed. And now think about this as I tell you what would be done to this lamb, because this is what Abraham, God told him to do to his son, and this is what he fully intends to do. You would take the lamb, you would slit its throat, drain it of blood, cut it up into pieces, and set it on fire as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And he's intending to do that to his son in obedience to the Lord. Wow, right? Wild stuff. Abraham says to his son, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Does Abraham know how God's going to do it? No, but he trusts God. Verse nine, when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And then it gets real, right? He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He's 120 years old. His son's 20. Like something there, guys. That's worth studying. 
Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And guys, he really was intending to do it. Like this wasn't a moment where he's got the knife and he's going, okay, God, I'm going to do it. You, I'm get, see how close it's getting? You're, I, I look at it, I'm, I'm, I mean it. You better stop me, God. No, because God can see his heart. God sees his intentions. God knows what's going down. He knows, and he pulls that knife out. He's about to slit his son's throat. He's really going to do it. And so God calls out the angel of the Lord, which by the way, this is Jesus. In the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus himself called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. He says his name twice. Hey, whoa, whoa, stop. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Someone say, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You're probably drawing parallels here between what God asked Abraham to do and what he didn't actually have to do versus what God would do later on. Abraham climbs up this mountain with his son, his only son. And he's willing to sacrifice him, but God doesn't make him. And years later, God would take his son to the same mountain and on that mountain, he would lay down his life as a perfect spotless lamb. And there would be no replacement for him, no substitute. But he would be our substitute so that we through him could find life. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. But notice, it says the Lord will provide. This is where we get, this is the text where we get this name of God, Jehovah Jireh. Which is that the Lord will provide. God is a great provider. On the mountain, listen, at the wall, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. You find yourself at the wall today, I want you to know, the Lord will provide. And the intentions of God is not to kill you at the wall. Like the intentions of God here was not that, really, it was never for Abraham to have to kill Isaac. It was that, it was that Abraham would sacrifice Isaac on the throne of his heart. God asked Abraham to do something. Listen, he doesn't ask us to do in a real sense, but he asks us to do in a spiritual sense, that there would be nothing on our heart, above the place of God in our heart. And so this is why we can relate to Abraham in the stories, because we can look at the story and we can see that Abraham had to face some stuff that he didn't fully understand and walk in obedience to God in spite of not knowing it all. And so just like with Abraham, our work at the wall is to do what Abraham did. It's to, it's to hold on to the promises of God to hold on to the covenant relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. It's to, it's to bring our, our future, what we think might be our future, to present it unto the Lord and to walk in obedience to whatever God is asking us to say. Here's what it comes down to. At the wall, we need to come to the place of surrender. It's about surrender. It's about saying, God, your will be done. Whatever you want to do here, I'm open and I will, I will trust in your character and your nature and your covenant promises and I will walk in obedience and I will trust my future with you no matter what I may see, no matter what I may understand. Abraham grabs a hold of God. He grabs a hold of the promises of God and he starts walking in obedience, trusting God with his future, believing, and this is what you gotta get to, believing that the Lord will provide. 
the Lord will provide. And what's the result? Is that Abraham breaks through the wall. And on the other side of it, he has this greater sense of intimacy with the Lord. A greater revelation of who God is and who God can be in any circumstances that he may face. Go back to the, the stages of, of faith map, guys, because here's what, here's what happens in the stages of faith. We, we hit the wall stage, and then we find ourselves at this next stage, stage four, which is coming now. There you go. Give our tech team a hand right now. But, but it, we reach this place of the journey inward. And notice that the wall and the journey inward are kind of close because it's the wall that forces us into the journey inward where we start to actually start questioning some things about what we believe, about what we think, about who we are, about the kingdom of God. And, and, and the sad thing is they say statistically that 85% of Christians never get to stage four. They stop in those first three. You know why? Because they hit the wall. And a lot of people, when they hit the wall, they quit. The wall, for a lot of people, either causes us to quit or to settle. And we just give up or we just go, you know what? I'll just settle for those first three stages. I'll just believe that this is about as good as it can get. And, and, I, and I won't push through. I don't, I, don't, I don't really want the greater revelation. I'll just live here and just kind of trust God. And someday I'll get to heaven and that's fine. I'll learn about God there. But right now I'm just happy to do these things and kind of live from from this, but there's this journey inward that God wants to bring us to. And it's from that place that, that God can do some great work in us that will lead to the next stage, which is the journey outward. Where now we begin to start doing some of the things we were doing before, but we do them from this greater understanding of the revelation of who God is and his real love and his true grace and his true freedom and who he wants to be in our life. Now we begin to once again move towards the outward works, but we do them now from this grounded center of ourselves in God. Early on in, in my marriage with Sarah, when we were kind of getting going, the first year of our marriage was great. Second year of our marriage, it was like, you know, our heads pop, our pets' heads were popping off, kind of like it was crazy. Like that was the year where everything that we had hidden, I had hidden, kind of came to the surface. But out of that, we, we committed our life to Jesus in a greater way. And I, for the first time in my life, like that's where I really felt like I made Jesus the Lord of my life. And man, I found the grace of God and the love of God. And I remember I'd read the Bible and it was just coming alive to me. And it was such a beautiful season. I was hearing God. I was getting vision for my life, hope for my life, future. God was doing some amazing work. And then we moved into year three of our marriage and, and we love God, we love his word, we're committed to church, we're doing all the stuff, we're worshiping, praying, we're praying together and dreaming and it's, it's this great season. Um, and now we were like, you know what, I think it's time, like I think we should start working on a family. And so our first step was like, you know what, let's just quit doing anything to prevent us from having a family, right? Let's just start there and we'll just see what happens. And after a year of that, it was like, okay, I think we need to be a little bit more intentional with this because nothing has happened. So let's quit, you know, not just quit doing the stuff that would prevent us from having children, but let's now start doing more the things that will help us to have children. You guys try again? <laughs> Some of my kids are in the room. I'm sure this is horrible. <laughs> but anyways, we're, so, so that's going on. And we're, you know, this fruitful and multiply thing is happening, but we're not being fruitful. We're not multiplying. And month after month, 
And, and some of you, you've, you've experienced this before. Maybe some of you are in the middle of this. A struggle with infertility. And man, it was, it was hard. It was devastating. At the end of every month, taking a pregnancy test. And there'd be one line instead of two. And like Sarah's heart being broken and my heart being broken. And wondering like, why? And like there's, it seems like everybody around us is having babies. I remember at one point hearing about this person and they were like, oh, we weren't even trying and we're pregnant. And just being like, good for you. <laughs> it was hard. And so out of that, I, I started like trying to make it happen from a spiritual sense. Now, somewhere along the line in my walk with God, I had bought into this idea that, that basically if I arranged things in a certain order, that I could get from God whatever I wanted. And so, so like, it was a very formulaic approach. Like if I do, it, I'll, I'll say it like this, it's almost like trying to crack a safe. Like God's got something on the other side of the door and if I can just figure out what the right combination here is of, of prayer and, and speaking and worship and all that, then God will give me the thing that I want. I didn't recognize that's what I was thinking at the moment, but that's what I was thinking. Like God is, I, I've got to manipulate God into giving me what I want. That's kind of what I thought. And so I started working all this stuff and, and yet still, I'm praying, no baby. I'm worshiping, no baby. I'm speaking, no baby. And I remember we, we, we got, I got this book and it was a book that was basically, it was basically that. It was like principles of faith and you'd read, it, you'd read a chapter and then, you, and then you'd work that principle to kind of get from God what it is that you want. And I'd read a chapter and then I'd go to Sarah and I'd be like, okay, this is what I read. This is what we need to start doing. And I've been doing this for a while. And, and one night we're laying in bed and I'm reading this chapter and I lean over to her and I was like, hey, I just read about this. I think this is, you know, maybe this is what we need to be doing right now. And I start talking to her about it. And Sarah looks at me and she has this look in her face. Like she's not like teary eyed, but it's just kind of like her eyes are welling up and it's like this holy discontent I could see on her. And she looks at me and she says, doesn't this just seem too hard? And when she said that, I knew she wasn't talking about like the thing I just told her, the principle from this book. She's talking about the whole thing. Like, why is this so hard? And when she said that, like I know now that was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in her speaking to me because it resonated with my spirit. Something in me, the moment she said that said, yes. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know the answer, but I knew I, I, knew I was not working this through. I didn't understand it. So I remember taking that book and I set it down. And I, I remember saying to Sarah, like, and I didn't know what to tell her other than, yeah. And I, I turned off my lamp and I laid there in bed and I remember laying there in bed and just being like, God, I surrender. And when I say that, I wasn't saying, God, I quit. I give up on this dream. We'll never have children. I wasn't saying that. I was saying, I know I don't have this right. And I, show me what, I, what I'm missing. Because I, I, I know that, I, I believe you're good. I just know I'm missing it somewhere. So the next week we go to church, we go to Wednesday night church. You guys remember Wednesday night church? Wednesday night church, right? And I remember Sarah was like, hey, you ready to go? And it's like 6.30. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to go, you know, because Wednesday night church at church was like the bead worship team. And a lot of times it wasn't the pastor speaking and like, you know, everybody wants to hear the real pastor. Like he's the man, right? 
Wow. No, I know, I know it's because we have such an incredible teaching team there. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> but but we, we go to church. And man, I'm telling you, it was dry for me. And it had been dry. Like reading the Bible was dry. Praying was dry. Worshiping was dry. And worship was dry. And I lifted my hands and, I'm, you know, you're like worshiping. Gritting your teeth worshiping. And then this guy gets up. And I never, like, I didn't even know this guy was a pastor at the church. Never heard of him before. He gets up and he starts preaching. It changed my life. He talked about Abraham. He talked about them wanting to have this baby. And that they reached this point of faith. And here, here's what he talked about that I'd never seen before. Never heard anybody talk about it like this. He said, they looked at themselves and the deadness of their ability to have a child and in faith they believed. Because their faith wasn't in their ability to manufacture this. Their faith was in God. And, when he, and he never made this statement, but here's what God said to me that night. He said, Josh, your faith has been in faith. Your faith has been in a formula. And man, I, I remember sitting there going, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> I love you and I know you're good. I'm sorry. And I, I repented. And I, and I remember repenting and, and praying. And I remember like it was right there. Like we're not pregnant yet, but right there I'm through the wall. I'm through the wall. I remember leaving church and we're, we're getting on this on-ramp to, to go home. And it's, it's summertime, so it's like 9.30 and the sun is still kind of setting. I can see it perfectly. And I remember seeing the sunset in Tulsa and looking over at Sarah and saying, you know, I don't know why we haven't had a baby up to this point, but I know God's good. And I know he put this desire in you and he put it in me and I know he'll be faithful. And when I said it, I wasn't saying it like, let me say this so I can get this from God. Like I truly in my heart of hearts believed it. And a month later we took a pregnancy test and it was Augustus. But here's the thing. When, when we took that pregnancy test and there was two lines and we rejoiced, that wasn't the moment where I got through the wall. I got through the wall when God showed me what I needed to know and what I was misunderstanding about him. And, and let me just tell you, I wanted the thing and I was frustrated by not having the thing, not having the baby, but God had a greater revelation he wanted me to understand because he had, a greater, he had greater things he wanted me to walk through. And that revelation that my faith is not in a formula, but my faith is in a God who is good, that revelation has shaped my life. And it's that revelation that enabled us nine years ago when God told us we were living in, in, in Dallas, Texas, at one of the biggest churches in America with a great salary and a great home and lots of friends. And God says, hey, I'm calling you to a land you don't know, Oklahoma City, where you know nobody. I'm calling you there that we were able to go, if you're making the call, let's go because you're a faithful God. So I will walk in obedience with my knife in this hand. I will carry the flame of your promises in this hand and I will hand over my future to you to whatever you're calling me to do. Someone say amen. It's, it's, it's the wall that leads us to this journey outward where we can now move into these promises and trust God and, and we can move into this next phase which is where we're transformed by love where we've journeyed through some stuff in such a way that we cannot let go of God. 
where when things don't go our way, we don't let go of God. We don't turn our back on God. We're so convinced of his goodness and his faithfulness that nothing can separate us from his love. We're going to follow him and we're going to surrender over our power and control to total obedience and surrender over to the Lord, which is the image of Jesus. Remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, getting ready to face the cross. And and he says this, he says, father, if it's your, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, this cup of what the cup of the cross, the cup of suffering, the cup of the cup of having all the sins of the world placed on him. If you're willing but then he says, but, but not my will, but always yours be done. Whatever you will, Lord, that's what I want. I want your will. And so I, I just surrender. I surrender. I walk in obedience because I know on the other side of this is something greater. On the other side of the cross is life for all of us. On the other side of the wall is life, not only for you, but for people all around you. Listen, God ain't trying to kill you at the wall. But there may be some stuff in you that does need to die. And so, Lord, I surrender and I'll sacrifice whatever you're asking me to sacrifice because I know anything that I sacrifice for you is glorious resur- gloriously resurrected through you. I'm preaching better than your amen. Yes. So what's the advice? Here's the advice. Surrender. If you find yourself at a wall, just surrender over to the Lord. So how do you know? And, and, and what's beautiful is once you surrender, then you can come through the wall with the Lord. And on the other side, there's, there's some awesome stuff God wants to do. On the other side of the wall, how do you know you're through the wall? Let me give you four things as I close. There's a greater level of brokenness on the other side of the wall. Now, that doesn't mean that you're, you're a more broken person. It means that you have a heart towards those that are broken. You know, before I faced some of the walls that God's walked me through, you could ask people who knew me before, I was a pretty hard person. I would hear about people struggling and I would just think, dude, you just need to have more faith. You just need to trust God. Or, or, or what are you doing wrong? Where's the sin in your life? But after walking through the wall, there, there's this greater level of empathy and sympathy that I have towards others and a greater level of me wanting to partner. Like when I hear about people who are struggling with infertility, I want to pray for them. I want to come, come beside them and, and, and talk to them and, and, and help them to have faith in God and, and, and just love on them and just be there in the moment with them because I know how hard it is. When I, when, I, when I find someone that's struggling with sin or whatever, my heart is to help these people because I've walked through some of this stuff and there's a greater level of brokenness in me for those who are broken. On the other side of the wall, there's a greater appreciation for the holy unknowing. This is, this is a... This is big. You know, our need to know and understand what God is doing in our life and to trust him and admire him must be dethroned. Like, in other words, if you're living in a place where if, if things are good, you're good with God, but when things aren't good, you're like, just so you know, that's a very immature approach to the Lord. Like if things don't go your way, all of a sudden it's like, okay, God, forget you. Like that's, that's childish. God wants to get you to a place where you mature in him. And you have an appreciation to walk out not always knowing how it's going to go. That's the walk of faith is being willing to trust in in what you don't know. Walk out what you don't know with what you do know, which is God is good and God is faithful. And he, if he's made promises to you, he'll fulfill them. The third thing is you have a deeper ability to wait on the Lord. Because guess what? God ain't going to operate according to your timeline. You notice that? 
And you, you come to this greater revelation of like the will of God and the timing of God and how they work together. That God has a will for your life, yes, but he also has timing for your life. And God's will outside of his timing is no longer his will. And so I will wait patiently on the Lord and I'll incline my ear to him and trust him that when the timing's right, he'll lead me where he's called me to go. The fourth thing is we have this greater detachment, greater detachment to the things of this world. You know, we live in a world where we get so attached to sometimes the wrong stuff. We get attached to like wanting to be appreciated and wanting to be noticed and material things and approval and, and, and the wall kind of peels some of that stuff away to where we kind of land at this place where we can say, I, I don't need blank to have joy. And let me just say while I'm on this note, if the, the, there, there's a question that exists in the, in the American church today, in the Christian world today, that's the wrong question. It's this question, am I happy? Just so you know, that's a bad question. That's a worldly question. There are going to be times when you don't feel happy, okay? Just so you know. Because happiness is based on circumstances. There's gonna be times when you don't necessarily feel happy and it's the pursuit of happiness that'll lead you down all sorts of dark paths. It's the pursuit of people trying to be happy out in the world that's leading to all sorts of chaos in the world today. The goal is not happiness. The goal is joy in the Lord. And really, here's the question you'd be asking yourself, am I free? Because freedom is based on Jesus and he doesn't change. Happiness is based on circumstances and that will change like crazy. Am I free? And I don't need blank to be free. I don't need your approval to be free. I don't need a platform to be free. I don't need a platform to have joy. I can have those things because I have God, no matter what I'm dealing with. So, so, so here's what it comes down to. Like, put, go, th- go ahead and throw that map up here, guys. In the six stages of faith, where are you today? Like you, you've been in the mall before and they got the map and it says you are here, right? Where are you? And, and, and so two encouragements. One is, one's an encouragement and one is just fact. If you find yourself in one of these stages, what does it mean to move to the next one for you? And then here's the fact. Somewhere in here, and it's gonna happen multiple times, you're gonna face a wall. And your work on the wall is to do what Abraham did. It's to grab a hold of the promises of God. It's to grab a hold of obedience and it's to trust God with your future. And on the other side of that is you looking more like Jesus. You being someone that God can truly use in this world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we love you and we, we, we thank you that we we, we serve a God who is a very present help in our time of need. And I know that there's people in this room today that are up against the wall. They're facing the wall. And, and Lord, I, I just pray that, that the, the heart posture that we would have today is one of surrender unto you. That we would say to you, Lord, that we just, we want what you want. We don't even, we want what we want, what we want but we want what you want more than we want what we want. And if there's something in us that's keeping us from what it is that you want and what you want us to see, God, I just pray that those things would be removed in Jesus' name. And from this place of surrender unto you, God, I pray that you would lead us through the wall with you. And on the other side, Lord, the the greater revelation of your love for us, the greater revelation of your truth and your promises and your goodness would be known in our life, Lord. But I don't know what people are dealing with. I don't know what 
people are facing. I don't know what kind of pain people may be in today, but you know, and you love them and you want to help them. You want to heal them. And so I pray, Lord, that even now, the tangible expression of the anointing of the Spirit of God would be on display in this place. Make yourself known. In Jesus' name. I want to go ahead and invite our prayer team up at this time. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and, and you would say, there's a wall. I've hit a wall. And, and I know I need, I need prayer. And I've really felt led this weekend to kind of say it like this, like maybe you're not even really sure what's going on with this wall, but you just know that like there's something in you, the Spirit of God is calling you to say, hey, kind of like me that night in my bed, like knowing there's something but not knowing exactly what it is. I believe God wants to speak to you today. I believe he wants to begin this journey with you today. And I, I believe coming down for prayer is kind of like saying to the Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab a hold of your hand and I'm gonna reach out and I'm gonna journey with you through this. Maybe you know exactly what the wall is, but maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you just know something feels off. There's a dryness, there's a brokenness, there's something and you just, you need, you know there's a breakthrough and you, you feel like God's calling you to that today. I wanna encourage you to not leave today without receiving prayer. I believe God wants to do some work at the wall today. I believe God, there's some walls that are going to come crashing down. But I also believe there's some walls that God's going to begin the journey with you of helping you walk through it with him. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand up. And if that's you, and man, the altars have been full all weekend. If you feel the, the, the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart right now and you know you need prayer, maybe you don't even know exactly how to express it. But that's okay. Just come down and say, I just, just you can tell these guys, I just know I need prayer. And we, we'll just pray for you. And I believe God's gonna speak some things. I believe he's gonna anoint these altar ministers to even speak some stuff over you in prayer. That's gonna be the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. There's gonna be wisdom and revelation and impartations that take place. Do you believe that? But it, but it can't happen if you won't be willing to walk in obedience. So Lord, I just, I just pray for each person in here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're stirring up hearts. In fact, if, if that's you today, and you feel like God's tugging in your heart, go ahead and start wake, murky, wake, making your way down to the altars right now. Thank you, Lord. Walk out, step out in faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Those of you who are not coming down, let's lift up our hands. Let's begin to just kind of intercede. We're a praying church. Let's pray for these that are down here right now. Thank you, Lord. We may need some more altar counselors, altar ministers. If there's any more in the room, we can pray. Any more of our team in the lobby that would come down and pray, help us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the work you want to do at the wall. Thank you. We, we serve a good God, a faithful God that sets the captives free. It's your will, Lord, that we be free. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church, let's intercede for them. We worship you. We invite your presence to be here. We say that we need you. We welcome you to move in this room today. Lord, I, th- I pray that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who needs prayer for anything today, that you would help them to step out and receive all that you have for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.